This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you afterwards. We are in the middle of a series. We're working our way through the book of Acts, story by story. Uh, we're also telling you some chapel praise stories each week. This week, instead of doing those at the beginning of the message, I'm going to incorporate them, uh, a couple of them, at the end of today. So I think they fit well. Today's topic from Acts is divine healing. So that's why we're going to save some of those for a little bit later. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 5 this morning, talking about what divine healing is, what it looks like, the purpose of it, um, and then kind of using that as an opportunity to talk about some larger teachings on healing that the Scripture scriptures give to us. Um, what I know about divine healing is on any, get, uh, any particular Sunday morning when we gather together, there are people in need of healing, people who are looking for the Lord to act, to work, to move. Um, we are sometimes coming for ourselves. We are sometimes coming for others. I've been at Christian Chapel long enough to hear um, a similar theme in a lot of testimonies of people who come in with physical need. And uh, for some reason, we make bargains with God throughout the week of like, Lord, if on Sunday, they talk about someone with a particular spot that hurts, and it's the exact spot that hurts, then I'll ask someone to pray for me, uh, you know, or so if that's you, this, like, this is just your sign for today, okay? Uh, God has a plan, he can heal, he does heal, and we're going to take some opportunity at the end to pray for that together, so um, I, I don't really know why we do that, um, you know, it's like, like we're making a deal with God of I'll only ask you for something good if certain requirements are met. Uh, it's, it's kind of backwards, and, and so I hope we can kind of lay that down this morning and just understand healing's a gift from God, and our job is not to earn it or deserve it. Our job is just to come and ask for it. And so that's kind of what the scriptures model for us, and that's what we're going to practice together today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. If you don't have one, it'll be here on the screens for you to follow along with me. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless... More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed." So as you work your way through Acts chapter 5, you find a, a couple of recurring themes that we've seen so far. The first is that the early church was a supernatural community. It says in verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. A, it's an area in the temple complex where they would gather. And so the, the picture we get in Acts 5 is a growing community of believers who is experiencing the supernatural work of God. And it seems like a great recipe of if you want to grow a group of believers, if you want to grow a church, you should meet together, and when you experience the signs and wonders of God, others will be drawn into it, and the church will continue to grow. But as you read through Acts 5, you see that the text doesn't seem to support the idea that it was the large group gatherings that were causing the church to grow. 
As you keep reading, it says, no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. And so it's this strange picture we're getting of a supernatural community experiencing the supernatural work of God, and other people are afraid to join them. And the reason they're afraid to join them, if you read it in context, you can back up just a little bit, and there's two primary reasons. One is they were being persecuted by the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And so because persecution had started to come, it wasn't popular, it wasn't necessarily safe to be a Christian, and so there were those who were on the outside of the Christian community, those who were maybe interested in the Christian community, but they were afraid to join the community because of the threat of persecution. And then the other reason, if you were with us last week on Mother's Day, that some might have been scared to join the church is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? If you had heard, hey, last week at Christian Chapel, someone came in and lied to the Lord and he died. And then that evening his wife came in and she died. You're probably not eager to go to that church, right? And you're probably not eager to bring your friends and family of like, hey, you want to go? There's a chance one of us won't come home, right? And then some of you, you've got family members in mind of like, no, I would take them. I would invite them to that church. I've been praying. You know, that's, that's not it. There's another work in your heart that God needs to do. Uh, but but so, so there's this, this weird kind of position the church is in of it's a supernatural community. Signs and wonders are accompanying the gospel message. And then everyone's afraid to join them. But then as you keep reading through Acts, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And so even as people are aware of persecution, even as the reputation of God's holiness and judgment are being kind of shared among them, still somehow the church is growing, but it doesn't seem it's growing when they're gathered together in the temple complex. So as you read through Acts chapter 5, we see that the supernatural community is most likely growing because of their ministry that's being done outside of their corporate gatherings. In verse 15, it says, People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. The implication is that Peter and the apostles were not restricting their ministry moments, were not restricting their preaching of the gospel, their, their, their opportunities for God to perform signs and wonders, their prayers for healing to the spaces where they were all gathered together. And this is is perhaps something that's worth us considering this morning. For many of us, when we think of divine healing, we might think, especially in a Pentecostal or charismatic kind of background of healing evangelists or healing ministers or healing ministries or healing events, opportunities where we go to a certain place and hope that we see healing. But what we see in Acts chapter 5 is a group of Christians that people are scared to join, but God keeps working in the marketplace, in the streets, and in homes. And so the, go- the gospel is being preached by the apostles. It's being preached by Christians everywhere they go and everything they do. And God is confirming it with signs and with wonders. And many of these signs and wonders are occurring just out in their regular lives. And it's an opportunity for us to remember that a supernatural community is one where we don't just spectate, but we participate. I can't remember the, the author who said it or the pastor who I heard it from, uh, but I, I, I remember at one point hearing somebody talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of the Holy Spirit, and they used the phrase of, in a Spirit-empowered community, everyone gets to play. 
Right? And, and it was this picture of some of us, sometimes we view this idea of spirit-empowered ministry and especially supernatural gifts like divine healing almost like we're kids at recess getting picked for teams. And it's only the, the most special among us who are selected. It's only the ones who are really holy. It's only the ones who've spent a lot of time in prayer. It's only those who've done some of those things who are invited into God's presence and allowed to exercise and operate in these gifts. But what we see in Acts is the clear and repeated message that God has poured his spirit out on all flesh, our sons and our daughters, our old men and old women, and our young men and our young women. And it means that every single person who has surrendered their lives to Jesus now receives the power of the Holy Spirit and can be used by God to perform signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of healing to confirm the gospel message. And so what that challenges some of us for today is it means that healing is not something we go somewhere to watch someone else do. You can't buy a ticket to watch God heal someone else, right? You were never intended to come to a church and sit in a row while someone up front performed healing miracles and you just sat and applauded in the back. We are never intended to wait for someone else to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. When we are full of the Spirit, it's our opportunity to step into any situation, any place, at any time, and trust that as we share the gospel, God confirms his message with his his signs, with his wonders, and with his gifts of healing. And so that means my job is not to sit around and wait for you to participate, and your job is not to sit around and wait for me to participate, but each one of us is to take the individual responsibility that comes from being a person who is full of the Holy Spirit and to understand if I am sick, hurt, or injured, I will ask others to pray with me. If I see others who are sick, hurt, or injured, I will pray with them, and we will believe we don't have to wait for the one holy man or the one holy woman to come so that we can experience the healing gifts of God, but we will believe they can be released anywhere, anytime by anyone on whom the Spirit rests. And what Acts chapter 5 tells us is that when the Spirit rests on a supernatural community, it's a community where we all begin to participate in the healing that God wants to release in the world. You listen to the, the phrase that is used, the apostles performed many signs and wonders. When it comes to, to participating in divine healing, we have to ask ourselves, what, what exactly does that mean they performed them? Does it mean they controlled the healing? Does it mean they manipulated the healing? I think as we read through the scriptures, we understand the apostles did not control the healing. The apostles were not healers. We understand from the scriptures that divine healing is a supernatural gift from God. Divine healing is not something that I control. It's not something that someone else controls. It's something that God chooses to release through his disciples. So when it says that the apostles performed signs and wonders, another way of saying that is God released signs and wonders through the apostles. The apostles' ability to experience this miraculous and supernatural work of God was not rooted in their ability, but in their availability. They simply stepped into a space and decided if divine healing is a supernatural gift from God, then we will make ourselves available to see that gift released among God's people. And so what that means, if divine healing is a gift from God, it means that we can't control it, we can't manipulate it. 
Now, that should actually take all the pressure off of you when you're praying for someone to be healed. Right? Because it, what that means is it's not primarily about me if you're healed when I pray for you. And it's not primarily about me if I'm healed when someone else prays for me. Now, as you read through the scriptures, we're told to ask for faith to believe for healing. We're told to ask for faith when we pray for others to receive healing. We're given some some ideas and some models that we can embrace and we can practice. But nowhere in the scriptures do we find formulas for divine healing that say, if we do A, B, and C, God will always do D. Because divine healing is a supernatural gift from God, it means that there are always elements of mystery and faith involved in healing. There's always a space where we believe in every situation God can heal, and many of us can tell stories of how God has healed, and then we all also know that there are stories where God has not healed. Many of you know Rubens Cunha. Rubens is one of our, our Kingdom Builders partners, he and Steffi, and they travel around the world holding these great gospel campaigns, and they, see, they have seen thousands and thousands and thousands of confirmed miracles of blind eyes that have been opened, of deaf ears that have been opened, people who stand up out of wheelchairs, just incredible miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, if you talk to Rubens, Rubens will be the first one to tell you there's no formula. Like, I I don't understand. He will pray for one person in a wheelchair, and they stay in the wheelchair, and the next person gets up out of the wheelchair. When I was a a youth pastor and we were leading trips to Brazil, uh, one of the things I noticed with teenagers is they they always kind of had this view of, like, I think Rubens can heal people, but I can't. Right? Because he just has all of these stories and all these things. And so we would have Rubens come and talk to our teenagers before every trip. And my, my favorite example from Rubens was he said, when I first started feeling like God was calling me to begin to pray for healing and believe for healing, I went to the only place I knew to do that because I, I wasn't a pastor. I didn't have a ministry. So I just went to the hospital. So and I went to the hospital and, and I asked, hey, can I go pray for people? And they said, sure, you can. And he said, and I, I went into the first room and I prayed for the man. And he died. And, and as he, he would tell that story, and then he would start to tell some other stories of people who were healed, and then he would tell stories of praying for people, and they died, and people weren't. And, and all he was trying to do is the same thing that the scriptures are trying to teach us of it's not our job to control it. It's not our job to let our previous discouragement keep us from believing God can still heal. Our only job is just to stand on the ground of we believe God can heal. We believe God does heal. We believe the scriptures tell us that if we're sick, we're to call for the elders of the church to anoint us with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person and well, we're going to do these things, but we're always going to do them from a position of humility. Understanding that healing is a supernatural gift from God. And the primary purpose of healing in Acts chapter 5 is to confirm the gospel message. Now, God still releases gifts of healing among believers, right? There are still contexts where it's, it's only Christians who've already surrendered their lives to Jesus, and they receive supernatural gifts of healing. Healing is a gift of grace that God extends to his people. It's an opportunity for us to understand that he loves us, that he's for us, that he is with us. But yet we always have to come with that position of humility, understanding I can't control this and God can't control this. And anytime we come across people who want to tell us, well, actually, I can guarantee you can be healed. Right? And if you'll just pray this prayer, if you'll say these words, if you'll do this thing, then you will always and forever be healed. And usually those people will eventually come to the recognition that they have overstepped the bounds of Scripture. 
Right, so we just want to anchor ourselves in this place of divine healing is a supernatural gift from God. And oftentimes what you will find in a supernatural community where people have surrendered to Jesus, they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be stories of healing. As I talk to, to my pastor friends around Tulsa and around the country, we regularly tell each other the stories of healing that are occurring in our communities. And it's a great encouragement that things don't just happen at Christian Chapel, but they happen at Woodlake, and they happen at City Church, and they happen at Foundations Church, and they're happening at Destiny in Broken Arrow, right? And they're happening out at Core Church in Broken Arrow, and they're happening in Sand Springs, and they're happening in Pittsburgh, and they're happening in Sacramento, and they're happening in Florida. All over the country, we hear these stories, right? And, and so so the only recipe for healing is are God's people full of God's spirit and asking him to release his gifts. And if they are, we will see supernatural communities experiencing the supernatural move of God. Now, not all of us are healed all of the time, no matter how much we want that to happen. Yet as we keep reading in the story of Acts, we see that, that though God will often and frequently heal one or two here or there, that there will be enough, of evident, enough evidence of divine healing to keep us pursuing it, sometimes in particular places, in particular churches, through particular ministries, particular parts of the world, among people groups, places where the gospel is taking a hold or where God is starting revival movements, there will be seasons of divine healing where healing moves from one or two to dozens or hundreds or even thousands. This is what seems to be happening in Acts chapter 5. We hear a description. It says, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Divine healing is a consistent theme in the early church. We're going to see it over and over and over again as we work our way through Acts. And yet there also seem to be some of these moments where a larger outpouring of healing occurs. It's a ministry pattern that we see in Jesus' life, there were times when Jesus went to places and it says that he wasn't able to heal anyone at all. There are other times, when he, many times, when he went and he would heal one or two or three or four people. And then there are a few times where it says that Jesus was ministering to crowds and places and regions and all who came to him were healed. This is what seems to happen here in Acts chapter 5 and it's a picture for us of how the church grows in a place where people are afraid to join large group gatherings of Christians. It says everywhere people came from, they brought them to the church and they were healed. All of them were healed. And as you read through church history, you see that that practice continues as well. That there are times, communities like Christian Chapel, where, where we embrace the work of the Spirit, where we seek God's gifts and he releases them in his grace. And we have stories here and stories there and they become frequent and they become regular. And then sometimes in certain places, in certain churches, at certain times, for reasons God has ordained in his sovereign plan, he pours out special seasons of healing where it legitimately seems as if all are healed. Now, I, I'll be 100% honest with you. I have never witnessed one of those moments myself. I've been in places where people have been healed ones and twos at a time, where they've been healed maybe dozens at a time. I've never been in a place where everyone who had a need was healed. Now, I, I want to. I think that'd be pretty great. If God wanted to do it today, I'd be okay with it. 
right? And if he did it, I would really hope he'd do it in the 915 and in the 1045. Because <laughs> otherwise, that's going to get weird, right? You guys, you know, I mean, there's going to be some like, well, should have come at 1045. The 915 people, they get up early, they get everything, right? Like, whatever it is. I, I would hope it would be all of us all at once. I long for that moment, but, but what seems to be the story is when God does that in the scriptures, when he does it in church history, it is often associated either with the first movement of the gospel into a region or with some type of revival or renewal movement in a region among a people group or among a church. And so, so we don't really ever see a pattern of a particular ministry or particular place where everyone is healed all of the time forever. It's always these little seasons, and and it really makes us stop and ask, well, why does that happen? And I think the reason for that is Jesus wants us to understand that divine healing is always intended to point to him, right? So, So healing miracles are never the ultimate miracle, and, and we have heard extraordinary healing miracles, right? The, the Gospels are full of extraordinary healing miracles from paralytics who get up, from the man who's, who's at the temple gate in Acts that we looked at just a couple weeks ago who's been paralyzed for 40 years and he gets up and walks, to Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus calling him out after he's been dead for three days. Again and again and again, we see these extraordinary miracles. And in your life, you might have the one thing you're waiting for God to do and you think, God, if you could just do that, if you could just heal this, if you could just raise up this family member, their suffering is so well known, their injury is so recognized. Their sickness has been such a part of their story. Lord, if you would just do that, it would be the greatest miracle we have ever seen. And yet what we see in the scriptures is that divine healing, as wonderful as it is, is never the greatest miracle. And here's why. Because divine healing at its greatest moment is still a temporary miracle. Every person who's ever been healed dies. Every person who's ever been healed almost always has something later in life that they want to be healed from again. Right? Many of you, you're like me, you have experienced God's divine healing power in your life. And within a matter of weeks, months, or years, you desperately needed God's divine healing power again. And that's great, and the scriptures teach us we can ask again and again and again and again. But what we see in Acts chapter 5 is this season of divine healing was poured out to establish the gospel in a particular place, not to create a healing ministry where that was the sum of their existence. But instead, healing was given as a divine sign to point people to a divine Savior. And so the greatest miracle is not that your body is made whole. The greatest miracle is not that the sickness is driven away. The greatest miracle is not that mobility is restored. The greatest miracle is that you recognize this supernatural touch is a sign of a supernatural Savior who wants to forgive my sins, who wants to renew my identity, and welcome me into his family. And these temporary healing miracles are intended to point our attention toward the eternal work of salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us. So Jesus as our healer is always intended to lead us to Jesus as our Savior. Because your body will break down again. You will die, but you will, Jesus says, all who believe in me will never die. You will live forever. You will be restored and renewed. You will be connected to God and connected to other believers. And so every healing points to Jesus. 
And it's an opportunity for us to remember as a church that we want to celebrate the healing work of God. We want to recognize when it occurs, and we want to use every single one of those moments to point people to Jesus. And so we never just have cool stories of how our body improved. We have a story of how Jesus came down and met us and not only healed our bodies, but changed our hearts, established our identity, and planted us in a community. This is the story of the early church. And and what we want to remember as we're reading through the story of Acts is these things are not just descriptive of things that happened once upon a time in a land far, far away, but they are prescriptive for what the church should still be doing. And so today what we want to understand is that divine healing still happens. Now there are, there are pastors, there are believers, there are theologians, there are seminary professors who either due to the, the realm of Christianity they grew up in, due to their own lack of experience with the supernatural power of God, have developed a system of belief that says these types of miracles that we read about in Acts were restricted to the early church. And they really were just for the first generation of believers to establish the truth of Jesus as the Messiah, and then they are not for us today. And that teaching has spread throughout Western Christianity mostly. I mean, if you go to Africa or South America and try to present those ideas, you will receive no hearing. People are just like, get, get out of here with that. Like, take your dead religion back to the U.S. with you and try, try it there. Right? But, but for us, it's kind of taken root, and sometimes it, it even begins to infiltrate into uh, Pentecostal and charismatic churches, churches that emphasize the work of the Spirit. And typically, the way that it works itself in is a space of disappointment in our life, where we've asked God to heal and he has not where we have sought the prayers of others and it hasn't worked as we wanted it to work. And so instead of us sitting in that space and learning to be okay with the sovereignty of God, learning to be okay with the mysterious nature of supernatural gifts of the Spirit, we instead decide we must rationalize it away. And we begin to develop these systems that say, well, it's, you know, maybe, maybe I can take this one verse and use it as proof that the gifts aren't for today or they stopped with the apostles. The problem with that train of thought is it lacks any scriptural support whatsoever. It flies in the face of the promises of Jesus and the experience of the new church. It ignores 2,000 years of church history of signs and wonders accompanying the gospel and being present in the body of Christ. It ignores what God is currently doing all around the world today. And if if you don't want to take my word for it, I'm going to recommend some light reading for you. So this is uh, Craig Keener. Dr. Craig Keener is a brilliant theologian, church historian, uh, just uh, smarter than any of us will ever be if we put all our brains together. And Keener wrote this book called Miracles. It's a two-volume account. It says the subtitle is The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. So if, if you're kind of on the fence this morning, you think, I don't really know that I believe those are today. I'm going to say start here, okay? It's 900 pages of text. It's 300 pages of citations, endnotes, and bibliography. And what Keener does is he starts in the New Testament. He works throughout church history. He tells stories from all around the world today, confirmed by eyewitnesses over and over and over again that miracles happened then, miracles have happened throughout church history, and miracles are happening all around the world today. Not just miracles of divine healing, but miracles of provision, miracles of God raising the dead, miracles of nature, all sorts of things. And so, so sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, one time I prayed and God didn't answer, so the gifts of the Spirit don't work. 
but to take your one experience and use it to discount thousands upon thousands, millions of stories throughout church history is the height of arrogance. And so instead, what we want to say is understand, Lord, I I get that maybe it hasn't happened for me yet. Maybe it didn't happen for my family member then. But I'm not going to let my discouragement stop me from believing what the scriptures teach. Our experience is not our guide for faith and practice. The scriptures are our guide for faith and practice. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 5 and what we see throughout the story of the early church is that when the gospel is preached, God often confirms it with signs and with wonders. And one of those signs and wonders is often divine healing. And that gift of divine healing is not just restricted to when the gospel is first being established in a place. But anywhere God's people gather, anywhere God's people are in need, the Holy Spirit can release these gifts of divine healing. And so we're, we're not just even looking, though, because some of us might think, you know what, 900 pages, that is more than I've read in my life. Not looking for that. That doesn't sound interesting. I will take your word that that's actually what that guy says. Uh, But for some of us, we we don't have to look even to what academics have told us. We don't have to look to what church history has told us. If we have enough evidence from what the scriptures say and our experience right here at Christian Chapel to, den- to know not only does divine healing still happen, but divine healing still happens here. Right here, right now, in this body, among this group of believers, God has, is, and will continue to release gifts of divine healing. And so this year, every Sunday at Christian Chapel, we've been reading chapel praise stories to you. If you've got one of those, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. But let me just read through. So some of these you've heard, some of them you haven't. On April 9th, on Easter Sunday, I told you the story of Linda Duntley. Linda uh, was in, in church one Sunday in March. She came forward for prayer. She had suffered from multiple sclerosis for a long period of time. She also had a couple forms of arthritis, just was battling all kinds of physical issues. She came forward hoping to be healed of multiple sclerosis. And she said, as I came up that day, the person praying for me began to pray that I would be healed of arthritis. And she said, initially I was disappointed because that wasn't my primary need. My primary need was multiple sclerosis. She said, but as I went back to my seat, I noticed I I had, because of arthritis, I had some fingers I hadn't moved in 17 years. She said, as I went back, for seven years, she only had one finger she could use on both hands. She said, as I went back to my chair, I noticed my fingers were starting to move. As I got in the car, I put a full grip on the steering wheel for the first time in a decade. She got home and sent her kids videos of her hands moving, telling them how God had healed her. And we shared that story on August 9th, and she said, even though I didn't receive the healing I wanted, it was still a sign that God was with me and he was for me. Then Linda sent this one to us. She said, on May 3rd, I had my first appointment at the Multiple Sclerosis Center in Oklahoma City since a severe flare-up that resulted in a hospital stay and serious side effects several months previous. On my way to the appointment, I feared that my MS might be resulting in further physical decline. I'd been diagnosed in 2005 and experienced much damage from the disease. I was especially concerned they would discover more damage due to being off of my MS medications for three years due to other COVID-related health concerns. At the appointment, my doctor reviewed my most recent MRI images and told me there were no new lesions or signs of damage on the MRI. The doctor went on to tell me that not only was my MS not causing further damage, he said there were so few signs of the disease in my body that it would now be considered completely inactive. 
I told you the story of the Dowd twins in January. McRae was pregnant with two little twin babies. She said she had an ultrasound, and after the ultrasound, we met with the doctor. He told us ultrasound showed that both babies had a heart defect with a hole in their heart. He said that baby A had multiple cysts on his brain, and the location of cysts on his brain were an early indication of trisomy 18, which would mean that he and potentially both babies, since they were identical, would not live outside the womb. He said we needed genetic testing to confirm the diagnosis. We left the appointment feeling shocked and numb, but at the same time, hopeful. I wrote out scriptures of promises to pray over our twin boys, Micah and Mac. She said, as I was getting ready for church on Sunday, December 4th, 2022, I told the Lord if the message was exactly what I needed to hear, I would go to the prayer room and ask for prayer. Pastor Chris preached that day on the virgin birth and impossible promises. He said, if you're having a hard time believing the promises the Holy Spirit has given you, that we have pastors ready to pray for you. So I went, I told them about the report of the doctor, and I asked for prayer. In the prayer room, Pastor Mike Bowie's wife, Pam, and two other gentlemen prayed over me and our babies. The next week, we had an ultrasound and received the miracle that there were, the ultrasound confirmed both Micah and Mac have no holes in their heart. Their hearts are sealed and healthy. Micah has no cysts on his brain. They're completely gone. And the trisomy 18 test was negative. Since she sent us that story, Since she sent us that story, the babies are born, the babies are here, they're healthy, they're strong. There's been a, a little unrelated health issue that one of them has been through, but they're going to be whole and they're going to be healthy. Owen Bebow is one of our chapel youth students. He was born red, green, colorblind. He didn't see the, way, the world the way most of us see it. It was just a gray tinted color. His dad wrote in January and told us that one night after looking at glasses that could kind of help, they realized that it was just kind of masking the symptoms and Owen went to bed pretty discouraged. He said as he went to bed that night, he prayed and asked God, will you please let me see just a little more color? Derek wrote, that was it. Owen never told us about the prayer that he prayed that night. At 3 a.m. on January 3rd, 2023, Owen texted us in the middle of the night to say something happened and he wanted us to tell, to tell us about it. My wife Amy told him to come downstairs and talk to her. Owen was practically bouncing off the wall when he came downstairs and into our room. We got him to settle down and ask him what happened. He had a huge smile on his face and announced, I can see. We were confused, and Amy asked him if he'd been having trouble seeing, not thinking about his colorblindness. He replied, no, I see fine, but now I can see color. He ran over and gave us a hug. You could feel the excitement pulsing through, and we asked what, he had, what had happened. He said he'd been startled awake by a noise while he was sleeping, but he didn't know what it was. He was trying to look around his room, but everything seemed black. Then he heard a voice say, arise and receive your gift. And he looked around the room and everything got brighter and he realized that something was different. He looked at his phone to see what time it was and he knew that's when something was seriously different. The Michael Jordan picture on his lock screen was wearing a red jersey, not a gray one as it had for all of his life. He ran over to the door and flipped on the light. His whole room was full of color. His toolbox nightstand was vibrant red. His Cubs blanket was bright blue. He went back to his room but couldn't sleep, so he continued to look at full color photos until he finally fell asleep around 6 o'clock in the morning. Caleb Byler is the son of Dave and Amy Byler, our children's pastor. Caleb, when he was in second grade, Amy says they noticed his left leg was smaller than his other. We had multiple tests to see what the problem was and discovered that for some unknown reason, the main nerve that runs through his upper left leg was dead. Caleb went through physical therapy to work to strengthen his leg, but the doctors told us once a nerve is dead, it's dead. Other nerves can grow stronger to support it, but the original nerve will never be brought back to life. That was seven years ago. 
And we've prayed consistently for Caleb's healing for seven years. During those seven years, there have been questions as to why a healing wasn't happening and heartbreak for Caleb and the challenges he encountered. Last fall, Caleb began his freshman year in high school and joined the marching band. We were apprehensive about how it would go with his limp due to the neuropathy and the limited movement he had in his leg. Caleb went to youth camp in July of 2022. We had to pick him up a couple days early from camp because marching band was starting. On the way home, we asked him how everything went. We asked about the services, and he casually said they were good. God healed my leg. He said we were shocked and wanted to know more. He said at the end of one of the services, he was just sitting by himself praying. He felt a cold sensation that started the ankle of his left leg. It moved all the way up to his hip, and he felt like moving it in a way he had not been able to in seven years, and it moved. He said we were all so excited and thankful, and Caleb's continued to walk in that healing to today. The last one I'll share with you this morning is from Brenna McCumber. In early 2021, Brenna was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. She had been experiencing severe pain throughout her body, pain that regularly brought her to her her tears. Her knee was particularly painful, and she had limited range of motion, which hindered her ability to walk normally. Her diagnosis was given after blood work and evaluation. It was a lifetime, terrible diagnosis. The disease only gets worse, worse with age. Matt and Randy, Brenda's Brenda's parents, said we found a renowned specialist in Oklahoma City and began traveling back and forth for appointments. The doctor had significant concern that long-term damage to her knee had already occurred, and he was developing a plan for Brenna to begin weekly injections to help ease her pain. From the moment she was diagnosed, we began praying for her healing and taking her forward any time it was offered anywhere that we were. In summer 2021, Brenda and her sisters attended a church camp. Brenna came home from camp saying that she had stopped taking her medicine because God had healed her. She had not had any significant pain since. As diligent parents, we took her to her follow-up appointment with a specialist in Oklahoma City. It was confirmed that she had reduced inflammation throughout her body, that she had improved flexibility in her knee, and despite previous indications that her knee had already suffered long-term damage, there were no signs of it anymore. After further examination, the doctor confirmed that Brenna was completely healed. She had no symptoms or indication, no tests for juvenile arthritis at all in her body. Her knee was fine. Her walking was flawless. She moved with full mobility. Jesus completely healed her. And we've, we've shared story after story, Sunday after Sunday, throughout 2023. And I know many of you still have stories that you're going to send in. I know there are stories still being written of God's healing power. Or stories of so many couples who have been told you'll never have children and now they hold God's divine healing in their arms. And sometimes they chase it around the church as they're trying to leave. Right? There, there are stories of people who have told you have congestive heart failure and it will never get better and God has healed them miraculously and there's not a trace of it left. Stories of people who have been set free from addictions that plagued them for decades and God not only healed them but removed all traces and symptoms of that addiction. Again and again and again, we see in the scriptures, we see in our own community, we see around the world that divine healing still happens. It happens to confirm the gospel, and it happens as a gift that God gives to his people. And so this morning, we want to take a moment and just pray, Lord, we don't want to just be a community that reads about it or celebrates it. We want to be a community that continually experiences the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you'll stand with me, I want to lead us in a few prayers. The band's going to come back, and they're going to lead us in a song. We're just going to take a few moments together and ask God to bring his healing. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?
If you're here today and, and you need God's healing touch in your body in any way whatsoever, we just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. Others around you, if you see someone, just reach out, grab their hand, put your hand on their shoulder. We're going to believe that, that what God has done, he still does. Jesus, we thank you that healing is not something that we earn or deserve. We thank you, Lord, this is, the scriptures so clearly teach us. Divine healing is a gift from God to his people. It's a gift that you release to confirm the gospel, and it's a gift of grace that you release to your sons and your daughters. And so Jesus, today we come and we ask, will you give us faith to believe that you still heal? Will you give us faith to believe that you see the needs of our bodies? You know everything that is wrong, everything that is broken, and it is completely within your power to bring complete and total restoration today. And now, Lord, in this space, we join our faith together. We pray with our brother or sister on our right or our left in front of us or behind us who has a physical need in their body. And Lord, today we ask, will you release your gifts of healing? Will you come and begin to drive out disease? Lord, you know the diagnosis and you know the prognosis. You know what they have been told. And today, Lord, we're praying, will you come and release your supernatural gift of healing? Will you drive out sickness? Will you drive out disease? Lord, will you eliminate any trace of cancer? Will you restore what has been taken from experiences of disease and sickness in our bodies? Lord, will you begin to renew and remake Jesus, we pray for those who are here today, Lord, who are suffering from the effects of injuries and traumas long ago. Jesus, today, will you begin to release your gift of healing? Will you restore movement and mobility? Will you give back a full range of motion? Will you eliminate pain, Lord? Will you restore function? Will you take back all that the enemy has taken from them? And will you restore it in an abundance today? Jesus, you see every need, you know every body. Lord, we pray that you would begin to heal, God. Heal the effects of arthritis. Heal the effects of every sickness and disease. God, begin to drive it out. Begin to restore and renew. Lord, will you do it for your glory? Will you do it for your fame? And Jesus, we thank you that your healing is something we simply come to receive. And so we stand with our hearts open. We stand recognizing the, the elements of mystery and faith. And we declare that we trust in your sovereign will. And we trust your heart and your hand. And so Lord, today, will you not only release gifts of healing in our bodies, but will you begin to heal our hearts, Lord? Will you begin to heal our minds? Will you begin to lift those clouds of depression? Will you begin to push back against those waves of grief? God, will you begin to heal from the trauma of our past? Will you begin to heal the pain and the shame of addiction that have us wrapped up? Jesus, will you make us completely whole and healthy? Will you make us strong and courageous? Will we boldly tell of your goodness and your grace that you're pouring out on our lives? Lord, you see our needs, and we believe that you are capable and you are able. So Jesus, in this place and in this moment, will you make it a space of divine healing? Lord, will you begin to lead us into a season of healing where all who are sick are made well, where all who are injured are made whole? 
Lord, where all who have any need in any way find you as their sufficiency and their answer. Jesus, will you just begin a movement as we have never known before? We come in humility. We come, Lord, asking for you to do what only you can do, to accomplish what only you can accomplish. You know every person. You know every need. You know every life. You know everyone in the room and everyone online. And Jesus, right now, we pray that every symptom, every side effect, every issue would be made whole and healthy. Lord, we believe that the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, but you have come that we would have life and life to the full. And today we're asking, Lord, would that fullness of life overflow into every part of our body, every part of our mind, every part of our heart? Will we experience the fullness of your divine healing in this place and in these moments? God, even now, Lord, begin to restore motion, begin to give signs of your healing among us today. Jesus, as we sing and as we spend time with you, we're going to continue to seek, continue to ask, continue to believe that you are raising our bodies to life, that you are restoring and renewing all things for all people. Jesus, we submit to you and surrender to you. And we ask in this space, Lord, we release your gifts of healing. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.